Thank you, Sarah. Thank you, worship team. Thanks, everyone, for just coming together this morning again and hearing me from three weeks in a row. This is kind of like, I think like my, my family's like, really? They're, they're having you talk three times in a row? Thank you for laughing. <laughs> now that you're not laughing, I'm a little paranoid, to be honest. Welcome, I'm Pastor Scott. I am somewhat new. I'm almost one full month into this role and excited to be preaching on, there's a clap. See, now I'm not so anxious and not so paranoid, but I'm talking through a reimagining mission in week three of this series as we jump into connection. Now, to review quickly before we jump into connecting, the first week we talked through discipleship, and that's taking off ourselves and putting on Christ. The image I used as a kid dressing up as a character, a fireman, a spider-man, a superman. We need some women, Wonder Woman, there we go. And talking through this, this idea of putting on something new and becoming that person. Last week, we talked through the idea of worship. And man, our worship here is so good, right, church? And looking through and saying that worship is a holistic giving of oneself that affects both soul and spirit where I think as the slide says, spirit and soul, that our spirit and that our soul are connected and infused and changed and transformed by our worship. If you missed those sermons, I'd love for you to go back online. And I want to say good morning to our online family and just welcome to joining us. See, we have uh, 30-some, 40-some people and just say good morning to Sandy and Brian, Audrey, the Hannahs, so many of you joining. I have a question for you in the chat. What's your favorite teacher growing up and why? Your favorite teacher growing up and why? As we get into connecting, we're going to talk a little bit about educational psychology. No one's clapping. Okay. <laughs> As a former teacher, I taught at Boys Town in Omaha, Nebraska. I taught at a, a high school a music, I taught music, which of all things I probably should not. But it's, it's a great idea of, of figuring out how people learn and then modifying how you teach to how people learn best. If I could have a thousand minutes in consecutive time of preaching on this, I would take it. Because I think understanding how we learn will help us understand how to not only preach, but also how to disciple and how to connect with people. For example, a little educational psychology fun for us this morning. In a middle school classroom, and, and there are middle school students in here, but just keep that in mind that you're not middle schoolers, so this does not apply to anyone in particular, though it may. In a middle school classroom, most teachers are right-handed, and so teachers who are, are, are just teaching a class tend to favor unintentionally, sorry, unintentionally the right side of a classroom. And it tends to follow that the person who's sitting the furthest up in the right side, good morning, are the ones who want to make their faces most shown to the teacher. They want the attention. They're the goody two-shoes, the teacher's pet. It does, you're not in middle school. It's okay. You're fine. Now, I'll come back to you in a moment. I'm not forgetting about your left side. Back right side, furthest in the back, you're good students. However, you don't want to be in the splash zone, okay? You don't want to be called on by the teacher. Can I get an amen from the back right? There they are, okay? See, I asked them to call out and they did, so they did get a good job. That's, that's a trick that a teacher does. You don't want it, but I did it anyway. Can I get an amen back right side? There it is, see? Now, <clears throat> right side, just feel good about who you are. Left side, you all know instinctively as middle schoolers that the teacher looks less to their left. Okay, say that three times fast. Less to their left. And so the kids in the front left are great welcomer and announcer. 
they're the kid who's going to want attention for being bad. <laughs> I couldn't have planned this any better. I mean, this is divine intervention here. You're not in middle school, though. This doesn't apply. This is, but this is educational psychology. And, but the ones you got to really worry about and the ones who are plotting my death are sitting in the far back left, okay? which is where we strategically have placed the prayer wall, okay? So they can be praying as they're planning to put a tack somewhere on the stage that I'll step into. This is educational psychology. And so middle school teachers who are a very special people and should have all our love and attention. <laughs> that was the most authentic amen I've ever heard. Middle school teachers have to plan ahead on these kind of interactions. And they have to plan ahead saying, hey, in a, in a seating chart, which is the greatest tool a teacher can ever have, they wanna place kids in different places. Now. How we learn and how we connect is, is absolutely applicable based on this example, but also, more importantly, in growth groups. See, friends, we are not meant to all learn at the same pace. Some of us are quick learners. Some of us learn by viewing things. They're visual. Some are auditory learners. You learn by listening. Some are kinesthetic. You need the Play-Doh to understand how it works. But not all of us learn similarly. And because of that, we have to understand that smaller groups that are interdependent on one another is the way in which we're going to make disciples the best. It's not, though, how most churches operate in the world historically. I love this quote by Greg Ogden. He says that perhaps today's pastor should imagine that they are going to have three more years in their parish as pastor, and there'll be no replacement for them when they leave. If they act as if this were going to happen, then they would put the highest priority on selecting, motivating, and training lay leaders. They could carry on as much as possible the mission of the parish after they left. The results of those three sustained years of such an approach would be significant, even revolutionary. The idea of pouring into a select few versus trying to get 10,000 people to come to one event is not how our modern church works. Jesus himself models his discipleship, models his ministry this way. He taught the masses for sure. We know at one point there were thousands following him because he fed thousands. But Jesus also had how many disciples? And a group of three who he intensely develops. Those three, those 12, and those thousands is the model in which he does his own ministry through all four gospels, and that's consistent through all four. Jesus did not necessarily want to have a huge mass following. Over and over in the Gospels, he says to people, don't tell, you, tell others what happened here. But instead, go give glory to God. Go show yourself at the temple. Don't do this with your neighbors because he, I think, knew that they would inadvertently want to take him off course, which at the end of his life they did. We see that even in the 12, he's careful with how much he reveals at what time. A.B. Bruce, a theologian back in the 1800s, says in his book, The Training of the Twelve, that at the time they were exceedingly ignorant, narrow-minded, superstitious, full of Jewish prejudices, misconceptions, and animosities. They had much to unlearn of what was bad, as well as much to learn what was good, and they were both slow to learn and to unlearn. For those who have been able to log into and watch The Chosen, which is a whole new way of, of understanding the culture of those disciples, I highly recommend that show. Can't over-recommend it enough that it is a beautiful portrayal of these 12 disciples and their backstories with Jesus kind of as a secondary character. And the way in which the artists and the directors portray that is just beautiful. But contrary to the way that Jesus did ministry and the way many churches have operated is that pastors tend to look at themselves as the circus ringleader and have as many people and as much stuff to look at 
at one time. See, most Americans want a million miles wide at the depth of three inches. Because if you go any deeper than that, you start questioning the person who's trying to be the circus leader. It becomes very, very dangerous in this model and this mindset. But it's very, very successful in selling items. You don't want to question where the item you came and got off the shelf came from, right? You just want to take the item and take it home and use it. And that's why most companies do not want to get too deep into what they're doing, but instead have as many followers and as many people like their product that they can. See, Jesus, I will say this, this is not against megachurches. Megachurches are fulfilling a whole cultural need in their own niche. But this is against the idea of educational psychology that we should have as many people not questioning anything. No, in fact, Jesus, in his educational psychology philosophy, thought that multiplication of ministry in a chosen few was the true measurement of success. I'm going to repeat that. Jesus thought that multiplication of ministry in a chosen few was a true measurement of success. Now, traditionally, a church has had either two areas where this discipleship occurs. You either have progressively leveled classes that get harder and harder as you move forward, 101, 201, 301, 401. Or you have a one-on-one discipleship where one person mentors another person. Now, neither of those are wrong ways of doing that. You're doing discipleship. You're doing what our job is to do as a church. But the challenge with that is, is not everybody falls into 101, 201, 301, 401. Some of us are ready for 401 right now. Some of us are not ready for 101. And the challenge we find is those classes only add by addition, not by making new leaders who then multiply. Secondly, the one-on-one discipleship, though that is so key and so good, at times produces as many heretics as it does saints. This coincides scripturally in so many ways. On the screen before you is 1 John chapter 2. John writes this. He says, I'm writing to you, dear children, because your sins have been forgiven on account of his name. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, dear children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong, and the word of God lives in you, and you've come, you have overcome the evil one. John throws this into his letter very oddly, kind of disjointed, and it sounds almost like a psalm and a hymn, and it may have actually been, we don't know. But he puts this in there to illustrate and to show that there are three types of people in every single church. There are the babes in Christ, there are the young men of Christ, and then the older men of Christ. And all three have needs of growing closer to Jesus. The ultimate goal, we find, is in all of Paul's writings, but specifically I want to highlight Colossians chapter 1, 28-29. Paul writes this, he says, Him we proclaim admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy so Christ works powerfully, so energy, Christ, so powerfully works in me. I'll get there. A little tongue twister there at the end. This Pauline statement is echoed in so many of his other letters that he wants full maturity in Christ, not some sort of stunted growth where you get to where you're comfortable where you're only doing what you think is maybe the bare minimum, but to see you go the next step to become fully mature in him. 
What we found in 2,000 years of educational psychology is that Jesus' model is the best way of doing this. The interdependent small group of leaders who become leaders learn it the fastest and are transformed more fully and most mature the best. This is the very best vehicle for making disciples. Some of you may be saying, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. And what I want to do is to illustrate this in real time by doing something that I call audience participation. Don't worry, back right side, you're not in this, okay? Okay? And what I want to do is just give us a sense and an idea of how we can make disciples the fastest and the greatest. And friends, I'm careful with how I say this because worship is important and the collective message from a pastor is super important. But I'm putting my job on the line here because what I'm saying is, is that becoming a disciple does not happen the fastest and the most effective and efficient by having one person preach to a room full of people or even to an online people. So if you just bear with me, I have a little transformation here from one of my favorite persons in all of the world. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Beautiful day in the neighborhood. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? Won't you be my neighbor? Hello, neighbor. How are you today? Would you tell everyone your names, please? Ron. Ron and? Christina. Can everyone say hi to Ron and Christina? Now, I did not go beforehand as Mr. Rogers and talk to you. I was going to involve you in the sermon, right? No. <laughs> Tell me, uh, how'd you come to E3 right now? How did we come? Yeah. In a car. In a car. Beautiful. Not a minivan, not a truck. How do you feel like your relationship with Jesus is right now? I feel very spiritual here. This is a wonderful place. This is my... Awesome. It's great. It's growing. It's great. It's great. Great, great. You want to ask me the same question? Um, it's good. It's good. You know, it's, I've, I've gone a long way, traveled a long way from Nebraska to here. My team lost yesterday, so I'm kind of sad about Illinois. that. Yeah, yeah. Illinois yeah. just destroyed us. Yeah, yeah. My wife is from Illinois. So oh, well, of... congratulations. Stepdaughter. Stepdaughter. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Um, so, yeah, so I, uh, congratulations, though, and, and uh, definitely excited for you and your victory. Uh, yeah, but it's, it's going. It's, it's going, going good, yeah. Good. A- anything else you're going to do after, after church today? Go back home. Yeah. Some lunch. Nice. Nap time? For them, not for me. (laughs) Round of applause for audience participation. How would you feel if I did that to each and every one of you here? (laughs) Now you get the chance to go home and say to all your family and friends, hey, I preached a sermon today because you were a part of this. So well done. And I'll talk to you after the service. Great job, by the way. I, I did not give them any warning. But this is the cool thing about growth groups is that there's strength in doing this level of intimacy versus if I had all y'all answer those questions, we'd be here for three, four, four hours, right? See, the strengths of growth groups are numerous. And to bring back the model, the picture from several weeks ago that we've gone through and that idea of bounded set versus centered set, when you get into a growth group, you have no choice but to be drug by the hand closer to Jesus, even the most awkward of settings, Now, luckily, growth groups don't happen with 100 people watching along. (laughs) Growth groups happen in the most authentic and transformational place available. 
See, friends, from the educational psychology component, we don't learn very well anymore as a whole humanity by watching, by listening. We learn the best by doing and participating. It's a problem with these is I cannot focus for more than about five minutes without being buzzed or being affected or being wanting to be controlling something that is right at my fingertips. What growth groups bring that a large group cannot is this. It's airtime. The growth group strengths are so numerous. Airtime. Airtime's a big one. That in a large group setting, you only have so many minutes and you have to use those minutes so very wisely that if we went and talked around all these different people, some of you would just not get any time to talk. But in growth group model, if you don't talk, it becomes very awkward after a little bit of time. Growth groups bring authenticity that you cannot hide behind a facade. Some of us come to church or have been part of churches where people come on Sunday as one person, and if you see them Friday night out in the community, they're a completely different person. It's awkward and very true. Growth groups bring biblical input, and they address contemporary issues based upon that biblical input. Growth groups go deeper than a large church ever can. If we want to take seriously our mission, we must invest fully into growth groups and into corporate worship. This does not take the place of corporate worship, but it definitely does bring a new component to it. Now, there are some issues with growth groups, and I want to address those as a whole body as you're considering how can I maybe be involved in this facet of ministry? It takes extra time. It takes an extra hour or two or three, depending on how your growth group operates out of your week. And what I'm very clear on as pastor is that I'd love for you to spend one segment of your time on Sunday mornings here in corporate worship. There's something that happens to our spirits and our souls in this corporate worship that is undefiable, indefiable, and unexplainable. But secondly, the second slot of time is where I'd love for you to be in a growth group and a growth group that eventually will turn into a serving group and take time serving our community. An average attendance for a church member in this day and age is one time per month. That's done by many different people who've done many smarter things in figuring out this number, but it's very vastly different than a generation ago and two generations ago where the average attendance for a church member was three times a month. You just cannot find enough time in your days, and I get it. I have things in my life, too, that take up time. But to commit time to a growth group will have exponential growth in doing our mission, in doing all that we are to do as a church. Another issue in growth groups is diversity. The idea that we need to have people who look and sound and think and believe like me is not necessarily true in a growth group that you can also be stretched as you stretch others in a place where it's not only visible diversity, but invisible diversity as well. And figuring out how people live their lives differently than you is a huge boost in your overall testimony. Evangelism also is an issue. That in a growth group, you can invite those people who've never heard the good news of Jesus Christ and talk to them in a way that affects them in an individual way in that educational psychology component of being transformed into Jesus. You can have growth groups virtually. You can have growth groups in a meal setting. You can have growth groups outdoors on a parking lot during a pandemic. It's a lot easier in Florida than Nebraska, by the way. Many people ask, hey, what about the size of a group? Should it be only this many people or what happens if it gets too big? 
And those numbers usually take care of themselves because when you run out of airtime, then you start breaking off and finding new leaders to take on new groups out of your group. Another big issue that I hear oftentimes an issue is the idea of heresy, that what happens if a growth group becomes toxic and the leader of that growth group starts spewing off things that are not biblical? Well, the church has always dealt with that issue. And sometimes the very best heresy, including the idea of the Holy Spirit, is birthed out of these ideas and birthed out of these places where people can authentically debate issues of theology. Friends, the point of all this with evangelism, growth, witnessing in new believers is that I'm asking for a new wave of participants and leaders out of E3 Church to come and inspire growth groups that make new growth groups. And many of you I'm preaching to the choir on. Many of you have been doing this for generation upon generation, and it's an opportunity for me to say, well done, good and faithful servants, and keep up the good work. And for some of us, both online and across this room, and those who are not attending and will be watching later, it's a time for you to think through, how can I take my faith to the next level and having myself grow closer to Jesus while also bringing others? But I also want to bring up a huge point and a huge thanks to Pastor Mike for his work in bringing forth growth groups that have been working successfully and healthily over a long-standing period. And it's him that I'd like to bring up now to give an understanding of what his theology and philosophy on growth groups are. So would you potentially give him a standing ovation as he comes up on stage this morning? That is the second standing ovation Pastor Scott has gotten for me, and I think it's because he knows I can corrupt your minds against him. No, thank you, Scott. You are the bomb. Um, <laughs> I'm Pastor Mike, if you don't know me. Um, I started here as the growth group director and then ultimately moved into a pastoral position, so you've probably seen my face on the TV over the last couple years. And growth groups are kind of what I think are the most important part of this Christian life that we're trying to seek. And really to explain that, um, I have to start with a story. Because in my mind, talking about small groups is talking about human stories. That is what's at the core of them. So that's what I'll do. And I'm not comfortable sharing other people's stories, so I'll just share one of mine. In my early 20s, I experienced one of the most pivotal events in my life. Um, I got into an argument with my best friend at the time which I was being incredibly judgmental. I was totally in the wrong. And before I could make amends, before we could reconcile, he died suddenly in a car accident. And I carried the weight of that grief for literally years, unnamed. And my full journey of healing from that trauma is probably too long for today. Is it too long? Too long. That's what that, the shrug means don't do that. Um, it involves counseling, it involves mentors, it involves a whole host of therapies and just getting through it. But the interesting thing is that the breakthrough in that healing actually came within my growth group setting. You see, another member shared about how his best friend when he was younger committed suicide. And he talked about the regret and the grief and just the lack of clarity and closure that he had. And before I knew it, we were going back and forth, right? I was just saying things, not really even knowing what I was saying, but just putting words to each other's pain. And I remember vividly this moment 
in which I put words to a wound that I had never verbalized before. I just said out loud, I blurted out, I never got to tell him that I'm not that kind of a person. And I just broke down. I mean, ugly cry, the snotty kind. <sighs> this person met me where I was at and shared his story. And then through it, God moved in me to name my pain. That captures what small groups, what growth groups are about. People finding the healing of God and sharing life together. And with that in mind, I just want to share two strong convictions that I hold in this season. First, I agree with Scott. I believe in my bones that this mission of making disciples fundamentally takes place first and foremost in relationship. Our ability to make disciples will depend greatly on our willingness to join and lead small groups of disciples in Tallahassee who are willing to share their experience, strength, and hope with one another inviting in those who are disconnected, those who just need someone to say, me too. Second, my other conviction is that I believe this new season of E3 will in many ways go as our growth group ministry goes. Our ability to make disciples depends on your willingness, my willingness, all of our willingness to get to know the people that we're trying to disciple which means we need to see more growth groups in this community. Thus, for the next several months, we are going to relaunch and rebuild this ministry. It has taken a massive hit through COVID, as you might imagine. And that means that there are two critical needs for our church. One, if you're not plugged into a growth group, duh, get plugged into a growth group. <laughs> but two, and perhaps more important, if you've been asking how to help in this season, which I've gotten a lot of those emails, a lot of those texts, a lot of people coming up, I just want to help E3. How can I help? This is it. I urge you to consider leading a group here. We need leaders. And you're like, oh, that sounds scary. That must be so hard. It's not. It's really not. I will walk alongside you. I commit to helping you grow as a leader and as a facilitator and as someone who wants to reach people, all you need, all I need from you is for you to love Jesus, to have the desire to love your neighbor, and a heart for vulnerability, hospitality, and invitation. That is it. And I can work with the rest. So if you are interested in joining or leading a growth group, please come and find me after the gathering. I'm going to be in the lobby. You can email me online at mike at element3.org. And let's try to get back on our feet and help as many people as possible. Amen? Amen. I'm going to invite Scott up. Can you give him a standing ovation? <laughs> Aha! Payback. We just remain standing, remain standing, as we're going to be called out and read what's on Beyond the Screens in a moment. Growth groups are a huge component. Thank you, Pastor Mike, for that and for the stirring challenge for us to be involved. We're taking this so seriously. We want our youth group to have a component of this as well. So if you're interested in helping out our various youth leaders, this is another way to, to, to be connected and plugged in in this time and season. 
With that in mind, let's look, turn our attention to the screens. We're going to say together this as a benediction and as a challenge as we go forward in our community in a variety of ways, inspired by the vision that we can hold together. Let's read it together. We will be an irresistible community of radically transformed disciples dwelling at the intersection of deep faith, authentic community, and emerging culture. Be blessed. Thanks for worshiping with us. Hope to see you back next week.